Hi everybody, I have written a story tonight, and I decided to record it instead of just letting it show up as a blog post on faceworld.com. And this is part of my childhood that I have not really shared with many other people, and this story means a lot to me. The title is Mike. On the same day, I found out Donald Trump will be the leader of the free world. The country I've lived in for half of my life. I was also informed of the death of my cousin Mike at the age of 37. He was not a good son, but an even worse father who left an eight-year-old daughter behind. Not many people showed up to his funeral. I was one of the very few people in his life who he did not harm, but cared for. Looking at a childhood picture makes me smile now. Nearly 30 years later, Mike was the biggest and the oldest cousin. Appeared taller than everybody else then, but soon he would be defeated heightwise by all his younger cousins. We were four years apart, living in the same household as my grandparents. Our parents left us there for similar reasons. Their careers had to come first. Beijing was already a competitive place. For most families, both parents had to work. For some, it's normal to let their children stay with the elderlies. For Mike and me, our guardians were our grandparents from our mom's side of the family. Mike had been there since he was six months old. I showed up when I was six years old, just in time for first grade. Until this day, I considered those three years I spent in that house. Right behind the gray wall in the picture, the most brutal and scarring time of my life. The second worst was watching my father go through cancer treatment for two years. At least then, I was in my early twenties and I was in control of what I could do to help him and my family. At my grandparents' house, I didn't have a sense of myself. Every day felt like an eternity. Oh, don't get me wrong, Mike was not the cousin I had wished for to live with in that house. He had terrible grades. My grandparents blamed it on the 13-inch TV we had, so they locked up the TV room. I couldn't recall a single cartoon or program for children for three and a half years. Michael's loved eating, and he secretly stole many of the fancy snacks my mom brought me from her visits in foreign countries. He was overweight as a kid. We couldn't do much together in terms of sports. My grandma kept feeding him and me. Most people never imagined me as a chubby child, and I was. And it felt intolerable. My body wasn't built to hold all that extra weight. It wasn't clear to me then, but it is now. Eating lots of food, especially the ones cooked by grandma, was the only way to please her. It was the only thing we, as kids, could do to be in control. Mike and I were like inmates, who were sentenced for life, living in our grandparents' house. It was a love and hate relationship between us. Sometimes, I felt like we were simply protecting ourselves and not really looking out for each other. Other times, when we had to hang out with the other two boy cousins, Mike and I were definitely on the same team. Seriously, though, we couldn't relate to other kids, even if they are our own family. Who live with their parents? It was not fair. We thought their parents seemed to really like them. 
they could ask for anything, everything, and all we got were rejections. Not in a quiet sense, like a gentle no or maybe next time, but shouting ridicules and blames. Mike and I were raised in a household that made me believe we weren't good kids. We weren't meant to grow up as good people. At the beginning, when I was six, I would cry a lot. Mike was only ten years old, and he didn't know how to comfort me either. Sometimes he'd make me feel worse. But knowing that he is there made a difference. At the time, one of our aunts lived and worked in the U.S. One time, she came home and gave our grandparents these blue and green gel-like toothpastes. The grown-ups hit them right away, but they couldn't fool Mike. One evening, Mike jumped out while I was still doing my homework and said, "Congratulations, Faye. We will not be using that stupid, crappy white rabbit kids' toothpaste anymore. Not for tonight, anyway." He sneaked into a secret cabinet and pulled out the American toothpaste. We both lost our minds and raised our toothbrushes, ready for the rewards. He was nervous as hell, and his hand started to shake. I tried to catch as much toothpaste as possible and started brushing my teeth. Before Mike could catch any for himself, my grandma showed up behind the both of us. She grabbed the toothpaste first and then whacked Mike off balance. The toothpaste was safe, and carefully put back into the cabinet. Mike looked at me with a nod. He was the superhero tonight. How is the toothpaste? Is it awesome? He asked me. I shrugged and said, "Yeah, pretty good. Sorry you didn't get any. No big deal. I'll try again tomorrow." He winked. Mike didn't just entertain me, which he was really good at, but he also watched out for me in his own ways. He called me the sensitive little one. One day he thought I was going to hurt myself so I could go home to my parents. Who were renowned artists in China, lived in a comfortable big house with a toilet and running water. He panicked and started hiding every sharp object inside our grandparents' home. A few hours later, my grandma shouted out, "Where are all my cooking knives? Nobody's eating tonight. You are all going to sleep hungry. You deserve it." Later that evening. My grandma would try to go to sleep and discover that all her sleeping pills were missing. Yes, kids who grew up in China knew three common ways to commit suicide: jump off a building, but we live in a beat-up ranch house, or taking sleeping pills, or slit your wrist. The situation was bad, and it wasn't getting any better, but much worse. After Mike graduated from elementary school, his parents asked him to go home. All hell broke loose. I was nine years old, living alone with my grandparents. It wasn't long before I had to threaten my parents and made it very clear that I must go home. At that point, my parents had lived their lives without me for three and a half years. They only saw me one day during the weekend. Everyone was happy, except I cried every time as I was traveling back to my grandparents' home on Sundays. Until this day, Sundays. Weigh me down for reasons I can no longer explain. A transition back to my home was weird. All of a sudden, I was living with my own parents full time, and I had to enter a whole new school system that was much more competitive. None of the kids accepted me. I wasn't cool enough as they were. 
who all grew up in the military base upper class neighborhood. It didn't take long before they realized that my father's status was at least two ranks above their parents. Footnote: My father was successful, talented, and also quite a bit older than my peers' parents. As a result of my dad's rank, we lived in a bigger home, had more playrooms to invite my friends over. Gradually, I integrated into a completely new lifestyle with my name written all over it. I was in control again. My parents, especially my mom, tried to spoil me: new clothes, new toys, and the occasional European ice cream for five times the money as local ice cream. But I didn't let my guard down. What if this all disappears one day, and I would just end right back at my grandparents' house with a lonely suitcase? I couldn't help thinking about what my inmate Mike was doing. So it turns out Mike's transition back home was not the same. His mom traveled a lot as a musician. His father was in and out of his life and never took any responsibilities. He had no one to talk to. Every opportunity he had, he always came to visit me at my new elementary school, then middle school, then high school. It wasn't long before he moved back in with my grandparents. I never understood that decision. I wasn't even sure if it was his. The next ten years of Mike's life was a wash. He never graduated from college. He never had a job for more than three months. We didn't know when he told the truth, if any at all. He lived in a world of his own, and he seemed to be okay with it. We are different, he said to me. You're gonna go places, Fei. You're smart, and you have ambitions. The silence after that confirmed what he thought of himself, which was always been the opposite of me, because he was told. That he couldn't be anything. Yes, I said anything. That was precisely what my grandma used to call us: things, not kids, not people. I refused to believe her. It wasn't easy because, as a kid, much of what we do was to please the adults in order to get what we need. I craved for love, stability, and encouragement. As I was reflecting upon this period of my life in front of a psychologist in the U.S., years later, she asked me, "How did you get through all this? How did you find the courage?" I didn't know. I had to think for a while. I was a really good storyteller. I made up a lot of stories while placing my stuffed animals left and right to create a show for myself. I used that energy to create a different story to survive in that house. Every night. With tears running down my face, under a blanket, so no one would see, I would repeat over and over again, "I am a warrior. I am a warrior." Every morning, I'd get up and fight another day. As drastic as it sounds, it helped me to be me and respect myself. Quick break. Look, my parents were good people. They are good people, and they thought they were doing the right things. I knew they had their best interests at heart. As for my grandparents, they weren't evil. They were not educated, and they both suffered a lot in their lives. Unfortunately, their sufferings were projected onto the next generation rather than redirected for positivity. My family had asked me to forgive them. It's no good to hold grudge against your own family. At the end of the day, they raised you, didn't they? It's true. The experience not only made me stronger. But he gave me a different kind of creative power. I'm able to connect with nearly anyone, everyone, 
and I find tremendous joy in bringing comfort and confidence to their lives. But Mike, he stopped fighting. He tried to get up again. I could see it, and I could still remember. He found himself a grocery packing job at a nearby supermarket, but he was forced to leave the job because it didn't make our family look good. Everyone else in the family had accomplished something on their own, worth grandparents bragging about. Mike didn't. He was a black sheep. I was 17 when I left Beijing to study in the U.S. Mike and I didn't have an easy way to stay in touch. International phone calls were expensive. Cell phones weren't available to most people. Emails were somewhat rare. It wasn't until 2006 when he and I began contacting each other on a more regular basis. The messages were simple. Hey Fei, it's me, your big brother. It's Father's Day, so I took both of your parents out to dinner. Don't worry, I'll take care of them. Hi, I heard it's really cold in Boston. Don't get a cold. Take care of yourself. I got your mom's travel info. I'll pick her up at the airport. No problem. In between those one or two liner emails, we always saw each other when I was home in Beijing. He would tag along to join my parents and me at countless social gatherings. I don't remember much of what we talked about. In fact, I was annoyed and even felt betrayed at times when he was telling me apparent lies. His new fancy job, job title, promotion, money he made—they weren't true. I knew him too well. Yet he felt the need to impress me somehow. One thing led to another. I knew Mike wasn't always doing good things with good people. We were all worried. My parents took many initiatives to introduce him to legitimate, trusted connections, hoping he would make the best of it. But he was in so deep, so quickly that he could no longer pull himself out. While this was happening, my father was diagnosed with stage three esophageal cancer. I had been working in Boston for just three years and came home to Beijing immediately. Mike picked me up at the airport with my mom. He looked incredibly concerned. On our way to the hospital, he said to me, "Don't get too emotional, Fei. Stay calm." At the time, I thought it was the most stupid thing I had ever heard. Of course, I wasn't going to burst out in tears and worry my dad. I had to pause when I wrote this. The moment I saw my dad on the hospital bed was heartbroken. It was the worst I had ever seen him. Yet he was trying to pick himself up and pretend nothing happened. I couldn't wait to leave the room and just run out to scream and shout. The next two years of my father's survival story was not pretty, yet it was a miracle after a conservative outlook of only three months of his life. I traveled a lot in those two years, including a three-month leave of absence that could risk my work visa. It was difficult being a caretaker alongside with my mom. My dad was so weak; most of his days were spent in treatment or sleeping. Regardless of how much I wanted to catch up on lost time, he simply didn't have the energy for it. Then the hospital was wearing me out. The food, other patients, and worried relatives were part of my world and my only world. Then Mike showed up. He was already at the hospital a lot, delivering some books for me to read or better food for us to eat. Occasionally, he would suggest that he and I go out to eat somewhere. My parents loved the idea, and they would fund it. 
They didn't want to see their 24-year-old daughter spending every moment of every day at a cancer hospital. Mike and I went on a journey we never had. Hey, let's go watch Kung Fu Panda, Mike said. Awesome, I love animations. I replied with no hesitation. It turned out that Mike had taken me to the fanciest, newest movie theater in Beijing. The tickets cost 120 RMB per person. That's roughly 20 US dollars. It was a lot of money back then, still is. Mike and I were introduced to our seats, which were these fancy inclined chairs that go all the way back. We're served with Coca-Cola and chips too. Mike asked if I wanted to see the full lunch menu I kindly declined. I felt happy and relaxed for both of us. I thanked Mike for it, and he thanked me back because how much he enjoys spending time with his favorite cousin after such a long time. I remember the Kung Fu Panda event particularly well, but small moments mattered even more. There were a few times that I had to go back to the hospital super late at night. The elevator light had a dark green tint that made me uncomfortable. Mike saw the fear through the corner of my eyes and offered to go with me every time. He was not a good son. He was an even worse father. I distanced myself for many years because of it. But he was a good cousin. He loved and cared for me with all of his imperfections. <laughs>